Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. I'm Sam Moores. And with us today, we have Justin Bell. Hello. Hey, mate. How are you? Nice to, nice to good. meet you, actually. Yeah, nice nice to meet you, too. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about sort of who you are and what you do? Yeah, it's funny when you, you do something, especially, I mean, I know anyone can live around, listen around the world to any podcast, but especially for a British audience, because I feel like I'm the guy that left and never came back. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like when I go to Goodwood, I'm totally like, who the hell are you? Um, so I, I second generation race car driver. You probably heard of my dad, Derek Bell. Um, so five time winner of Le Mans and all that stuff, and mm-hmm. which I'm very proud of. So I have no problem saying it like that. Not, not any dark, deep family (laughs) guilt trip or something. But, uh, and, you know, I raced my whole life from 18, 19 years old from Formula Ford, being on the grid with Alan McNeish, Mika Hacken, and all the way through their their careers, obviously went the one way, I went another. Uh, Talk about that. But um, came to America, which is, I mean, which was pretty uh, successful for me. But uh, the big heyday years for me with the Dodge Viper, years back uh, with the Arika team. Arika, we won Le Mans, we won the World Championship. It was just an extraordinary run through the end of the 90s. And um, then uh, over here in America, won Trans Am Rookie of the Year, uh, podiumed at Daytona. I mean, it was a, everything was seeming to go quite well. And then, you know, careers change and dry up yeah. and do different things. But I was really, I started being interviewed a lot and I was the good interviewee. I was the the guy that was good value for the money, you know? So um, they'd always come to me in the middle of the night in the pit lane because they knew I'd not shut up. And uh, then eventually I knew that was what I wanted to do. So I I got the opportunity uh, when my teammate, I was doing Grand Am, which is the, you know, the IMSA series at the time, as it was called, 
racing in the prototype division. Wonderful man called Roger Schramm, gentleman driver. And but you know, just a bit disillusioning when you know when you demotivating when you get the car into the top four or five, and then you know you get in, you drop it back down, and then you do that. That was the game, I guess. It was you know you put your heart and soul into it. Um, and then you take a check and go home and go, God, is that my whole life? Um, is that what it all <laughs> amounted to? Um, but still very fortunate to do it. But then he had a very bad skiing accident in after Daytona, which opened us up to me up to, I'm getting paid for the year, but now I could go to not drive effectively. I could go to Speed Channel as it was and say, I want to be a full-time broadcaster. And they took me on and, and that was 12 years ago or something. And so yeah. I've basically been... The, the TV guy over here and all kind of got famous for my pit walks at Le Mans, you know, engaging with the fans. I'm not the technical reporter. I'm the, the funny guy. And uh, then branched into the web stuff, as everyone does. And I have, you know, quite a few different shows now, as well as doing a lot of branded content for people, mm. which is a, a sort of weird skill to be able to work for Lexus or Mercedes or whoever, Jag, Land Rover, whoever. And, you know, deliver content in a way that isn't like down your throat bullshit. You know, <laughs> you try and make it sound as though you're, you know, you're doing it genuinely. So that is, uh, a man, that is a man of all trades really right now, um, but all communication based. Mm. Okay, let's, let's sort of wind back a little bit and then sort of go through a bit. So racing was, the, I guess there was no real sort of, not necessarily option, but in terms of like, your dad was so successful in it. You probably were like, my idol, this is what I want to do. Crack on. Was that? Yeah. I mean, in a way, in a way, but not when I was young, you know, I I mean, I raced motocross, um, and school motocross because dad was off driving. Yeah. So my, uh, my sort of one of my best friends, his best friend, John Penfold, his son, James, and he and I would go motocross riding and Portsmouth schoolboy scramble club. And I was a good club rider. Um, but I knew I was never going to be, that wasn't going to be a career. You know, when these, there was this guy, this time, this, uh, we were at Langrish, which was like our local track. And I was really freaking good there. And then this little blonde kid turned up in a, which I now realize was just like a panel van, but he was very fancy for you know, <laughs> scoreboard motocross. And he had his, you know, Kawasaki teen green all over it. And this little blonde kid, about half my height, just pissed off into the distance, like just, to just this bit was jumping over things we would kind of do this over he'd yeah, just like yeah. take off clear five jumps in a row and i remember thinking well sod this for game of soldiers i'm i'm i don't think i'm gonna make it get paid to do this <laughs> uh, and then and then the racing thing uh actually james my real best my other best mate who from school he uh took me to his dad and i went to the and him went to the formula ford festival 16 you know 1600 festival i'm like oh my god these are guys my age i could do this yeah. whereas i'd only ever been to real racetracks big races yeah. with dad you know silverstone thousand kilometers or nurburgring or lamar I mean, that sounds like privilege but i'd never i didn't know how you got there i just thought yeah didn't everyone's dad do it in a way um so that's when i decided to go racing to the severe disappointment of my mum and I think, in a way, the disappointment of my dad. Uh, he was proud of it, but he knew it was about to cost him some money and a whole load of aggro at home. So I think he'd rather I'd be more intelligent, and, you know, I don't know, I don't, a tennis player, whatever. You know, I think, do definitely we, not a doctor. Do you have, you have kids, right? Yeah. Do you, because I've just had a little baby who's like 
eight months old. And we were t- I was chatting to my wife about this of like, well, I would like them to be him to be, you know, pursue various things and whatever. But like, I kind of don't want him to be like that good at like sports or car racing sounds like a horrific idea. Like all yeah. these things you're like, that's going to like take a lot of money and time and effort when like, you could just like cruise through and have a nice time. Yeah. And all that. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, he's, I, I will say to people, you know, when kids ask me, Oh, do you want to, I want to be a racing driver and they're coke karting and stuff. And I look at the dad and I say, are you rich? And they go, oh, no, I'm, you know, whatever, electrician. And I go, mm. do you know rich people? Well, not really. And then I look at the kid and say, are you like, you know, Lando Norris good out of the box? Or Raikkonen or something? Well, I mean, I'm winning some races. Oh, that's good. I said, well, the other advice is just go do well in business, become rich, and you can race anything you want, actually. Not Formula One. Yeah. But, you know, you could get into top levels of sports car racing if you, as a gentleman driver, pro-am, as many people that have that's the guaranteed one and by the way when we're all going back on you know easy jet you'll be in your own plane so it's way better <laughs> it's a much better way of going racing but you're onto something there with sport right? i know we're not really answering my question about my dad but and me but the whole thing about sport is it's this incredible especially for young kids this incredible character builder right it mm. shows them discipline and focus and physical training and how but the number of jobs at the end of it, if you if you yeah. think, you know, it's going to be a J-O-B, it's really tough. Um, I don't know. There's not many, you know, Lawrence Strolls as dads out there, you know, and it's, I think, you know, I think it's brilliant for kids, but I think there comes a point you have to go, this isn't your job, my son or my daughter. This is a, an amazing training environment for the rest of your life, but you're going to need a real job. Uh, but saying that, I... I of course, it was pre-social media and pre-all that, and so you thought you could do whatever you wanted. And um, there was still no context to it. You know, there was no... You weren't aware of the of the options, really. I mean, I I, mm. I wanted to do film and TV from quite an early age um, and be involved. I'd like to have been an actor, I guess, or something. But I never pursued it. But um, in my older age, I think I kind of do my fair share of acting and what I do as, as a TV host. But, um, you know, when you're getting involved in a swallow that, you just, you know, I wasn't, I didn't think about making money. I just thought, I really want to do this. Yeah. And so Burt Rigg or Little Formula Ford and my first sponsor, Graham Burroughs, who was a property developer in, in Bognor Regis, Pagham. And off we went, 50 grand sponsorship, two championships for $50,000 pounds you mean townsend torreson and the piano i mean it was amazing really that was 24 races for 50 grand right i mean unheard of. you can't even can't do karting no. any kind of karting for that um and next thing i'm off the races really and this thing started going quite well but uh it wasn't obvious um the other reason it wasn't obvious sam was because whereas a lot of other people may have being inspired to go racing other kids because they looked at autosport and you'd watch Formula One, listen to Murray Walker, and you just thought it was glamorous. Um, you know, I was exposed to the negative side, which was, you know, people dying that were friends of ours, you know, close friends, my parents crying about it, my mum and dad fighting over the fatalities, over the risk, over the reward, um, being pulled out of school, private school, because dad had no money, because driving took a shit for him for a while. You know what I mean? It was just like, uh, I was more 
educated about my decision to go racing than maybe just someone sitting at home. So people say it was yeah, just for that's... the girls and the glamour, but actually I knew the other side of it and the girls. That's quite glamour. an interesting outlook on it. And I, I've not really thought about that, but like I have um, a family member as a politician and um, I, they asked me like, young days are you interested in politics slash want to be have anything to do with politics and from a young age we were getting dragged around the country going to this and that and doing all this stuff and seeing the media and whatever and just like no i I couldn't want to get any further from it i like it just seems horrific yeah um just an awful so yeah that's an interesting awful, awful thing but you know you do you are shaped so much by your parents aren't you as in in your mm. interests and and i think it's quite i'm more aware now see and you just started on the kid thing i'm more aware now my son's 18 and my daughter's 15 and a half Tallulah and oliver and i'm realizing how formative the exposure is that we give them to our own passions i mean how yeah. many kids are you know it's really cool when you know like my girlfriend she's totally into cars and her dad and her were, and I think it was probably a bit of a pain in the backside for her being, <laughs> him being so into cars when she was younger. But now, you know, it's what she does. It's like yeah. osmosis, right? And uh, and there's a responsibility to that. So, yeah, open your kid's eyes to everything. But, in you know, this whole social media side of things, you think, oh, well, I'm just going to go into karting. My dad and mom are going to go into debt. And then I'm going to drive Formula One. It's going to be easy. <laughs> it's just not. It, it, I mean... Drivers stay in their seats for a long time. I'm not saying don't have the dream, but geez, it's those easier dreams. It's a really interesting sport. I, I mean, there is a there's a debate I have with some of my friends about whether it is a sport for like and and I, and and like you can toss it both ways. Um, and because like one of the things is. And I don't know what necessarily defines a sport, but the the money element is such it just makes and breaks it for well pretty much everyone. Like it doesn't matter how far up the tree you are, you still need money, whether it's from someone else or whatever, to to play. Uh, I'd say, you know, Dad, I remember him talking about it when I was he really young. You know, even members of his family were he'd won, he'd got an MBE for it and won Le Mans five times, and his family was still like when you're going to get a job, you know, and because they just, he's like, actually, they're all right doing exactly what I do. But he, you know, it, there was no one in the early days of racing that didn't have money of some mm. kind to start racing that, you know, it was a gentleman's activity that you then became kind of professional at, but from the Bentley boys to Sterling Monster, you know, I mean, yeah, yeah they, a lot of them came into it with no money, but you'd still need someone to give you a, a hand, you know, uh, I mean, James Hunt with Lord Hesketh. I mean, you know, there's, there's, everyone has sort of had these mentors of some kind, especially before sponsorship. But it is definitely, I think, uh, the couple of ways of defining what a sport is. One is it does provide entertainment. People follow 100%. it. There's people are em- empowered by watching it and it brings huge entertainment to m- tens and tens of millions of people. So, you know, that puts it in the sport category, the level of fitness of these drivers, the the technology ba- battle that goes on between the teams. Um, I think 
does money equal better entertainment? No, it doesn't. I mean, you watch IndyCar, their racing is just as good as Formula One. Um, but Formula One has brilliantly positioned it into into being the elite sport, right? I mean, how many crap races did we used to watch at Formula One when there was no overtaking? We still watched it yeah. every weekend. And every after every race, you go, I'm never watching that again. But you'd watch that. Yeah. You know, now at least we have amazing racing um, and some really great characters. Uh, but yeah, it's a, it is a sport um, as much as, I don't know, paddleboard might be in the Olympics, right? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's a sport. Oh, it is. And it is, like you say, the point, if, if you, I'd say you start a big company and you do very well for yourself, you you can go and do some of these really cool things. Like you can go to Le Mans and, yeah, you need to work your way up in cars or whatever, and you can race an LMP2 car. Like, yeah, go, go If you've got enough money, you can race LMP1. <laughs> you can go LMP1. I mean, it is the, also the only professional sport where that can happen. I mean, you don't go, yeah. you know, you're not handy. Polo. Polo, polo, very true. You know, here is, uh, here is uh, Tiger Woods on the first tee of the US Open, and there is Justin Bell, a, a gynecologist <laughs> from Ohio who is really enjoying his golf game and is on the first tee with Tiger Woods. You go, what the fuck is this guy doing here? <laughs> but, you know, in sports car racing... You have that. You know, you You go, you came to, I mean, I remember you used to have my racing school uh, at a uh, Viper, then a Corvette racing school. I'd be teaching these guys and I'd be like, God, you can't drive a stick up a dog's bum, you know. And then a year later, (laughs) I'd be at Daytona and this guy, I remember, it's a true story. This guy's walking towards me in a race suit and he goes, do you remember me? And I go, yeah, I'm scarred by it. And he goes, I'm I'm in the GTD race. Wow. I mean, that's on the banking with Christensen and Montoya and McNeish. Yeah. And I go, what? But that's our sport. And, you know, for every one of those shouldn't be there, you know, moments, um, there's, uh, there's a lot of amazingly talented guys who, isn't it interesting, answer the question on behalf of a lot of other people. You know, if I'd started younger, I could have been someone. That, there's some genuinely fast drivers. In, yeah. in the pro-am category, right? And you go, if you'd started when you were 18, you would have been bloody good. You know? And it's, there's another interesting aspect to that. And there is a clear, clear difference between professional and am. And, and, and like whatever level of am, okay, the, the top, top, top ams do start to cross over. But you're getting in professional, any day, any track, any car, any conditions lap one generally incredibly fast whereas the ams that's not necessarily the case but it's it's a really unique sport in the sense that you can start late in life young in life whatever and you can get to within what seems in terms of numbers very close to a professional in like not that long in terms of the grand scheme of things, in terms of hours, like you can take a complete novice and get them to within a half second of a pro, depending on the car, GT3 maybe, in like not that long. It's just got to be commitment time. They've got to be, you know, on it. And be on but it. it is possible, isn't it? 
Right. Yeah. So my my rebuttal to that is is based on you know thirty years since I did the Derek Bell Porsche driving school. I was one mm. of the little coaches back then. As a twenty year old here in America, then having my own racing school, then doing private coaching, which I don't like doing. But now, uh, but uh, all the way to today, driving with other journalists on track in more visceral linear cars the cars of 10 15 20 years ago that gap was this large yeah you would be four seconds off my pace if we went in the new mclaren to Silverstone. if i took you in if i'd taken you in the ar le mans winning gtr and when it's in road spec right you know the 95 car to silverstone you'd shit your pants even i don't care how common you would have been six to eight seconds off and you would have been trying really hard in yeah. today's car with the technology if you're in a new gt3 or gt4 porsche it's extraordinary i mean you can or you can get in a mclaren 600 lt or whatever your yeah. technology is giving you so much confidence it's i mean there's hundreds of millions right of electronic impulses doing things reading data doing things you and you're like, oh this staring look at me oh wow look at me come <laughs> out of cops i'm fucking brilliant here but meanwhile the car's doing a zillion things at once from the hydroelectric magnetic dampers to the diff altering the torque to the front wheel so you're not even feeling it to the steering input changing i'm right it the car yeah. so the gap is so narrow but put you throw everyone into dodge vipers from 1994 and say go at it the gap with oh, no ABS, yeah. no traction control, no nothing. You, the gap would be back down to four or five seconds. So, but he's put a lot of problem for the coaches, Sam. A lot of problem for the coaches because now you're sitting next to your, you know, the neurosurgeon or whoever who is your or the stockbroker who is your client, and he's getting up to speed, and he's like looking at the data, going, "What? You're Darren Turner." I mean, fuck it, I thought you would be better than this. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, I know this because, like, my best mate, James Guest, owns uh, Base, you know, the uh, simulator company with Darren. Mm. And yeah. James Reese's and Aston Martin has has done the last couple of years in whatever British championship it was. And Darren comes and does some races with them. And he's like, Darren will be on it. I mean, just as you say, that difference between a pro, like, first lap yeah. out, Darren's off in the weeds, <laughs> uh, you know, like, Way quicker. And then the gap will come down and you look at the data and you go, well, I'm quicker than him there, out of the hairpin. I'm quicker than him, yeah. you know, in the middle of whatever corner. And, but that would not happen back in the day. Yeah. No, no, get on like in a race. <laughs> in and the racing then separates it, doesn't it? Racing, you know, it's like, it's like, I'm sure there's, it's like any, any sport when you're actually having to race. I mean, James, by the way, is a very good driver, but a racer, but, um, you racing and the risks you take, you know. And so I've had these funny moments. Like I did a lot out at Bondurant at one point and we had the ACR Viper and this is like three or four years ago. It's now not called Bondurant, is it? Um, uh, called Radford. Um, but I was giving these demo laps and these guys, you know, were were able to go nearly as fast. So I had to like, <laughs> like peg it just to show off. Yeah. And sometimes they're like, looking out the window you're like oh, I'm really doing a good job here and you're just <laughs> looking at it as though this is a virtuoso performance 
and all my <laughs> skills and you're like looking out the window because it's not it's not that impressive yeah it's a tough it is tough, tough to stand out yeah, and that, that is what, when I phrased the question, I specifically picked like the GT3 because like GT3 class of racing has all the aids and all the stuff. And I'm not saying it's easy to drive one of those cars or whatever, but you switch into, let's say, prototypes or something with like no aids. And yeah, like the gap suddenly, same, same drivers pretty much just goes like, yeah, vomf. yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so- understanding high downforce, the commitment it takes to go through a corner with a high downforce car and just trusting it's going to do it. You know, you need, you need a degree of, you, you need your skill level goes up, but there are those freaks that are just brave. They're just brave. And you go, Oh my God, you, I don't know. You could have done anything in life. You're just brave and slash stupid. You know, they just, you go, <laughs> God, you got no fear. I always had fear. These guys have no fear, but again, don't you think, that we're entering this age, especially because of the amount of sim driving, uh, because of watching these unreal crashes on TV that the Formula One drivers could have or IndyCar drivers could have. Yeah. And ooh, ooh, that's a bit of a shape. Cleared from the medical yeah. department. It's, it's great. But if people, I think there's a generation of kids out there that don't think they could get killed in a race car. I think there's yeah. a lot that would think it's inconceivable because don't you just hit reset? Right. Yeah. You know, I had a really funny, um, I was at spa with a BAC driving a mono. Mm -hmm. And there was another driver there who had spent a lot of money on his home sim, like 20, 30 K or something. Nice. And it was set up as like a GP two sim or something. And, um, we were talking about driving at Silverstone and I was saying, I have a radical. Um, and for me, it took a long time to do, like a lot of the corners there you're turning in under power and then lifting which yeah. whereas in a road car you're braking i don't know way yeah. back and i was saying it, psychologically that took me a long time okay. to build up to that and he was like yeah it's just but it's just like you know in a gp2 car it's just flat and i was like mate you've never driven a gp2 car he's like yeah but it's the same like, but there's a big difference between d- doing it on the sim he's actually a really, really good driver but doing it on the yeah. sim and in real life like you hit solid stuff. It's going to hurt. <laughs> it really is. It, it, I mean, and I think, I mean, that's a way bigger conversation, isn't it, about where, where this is all going in life. I mean, the sim stuff is incredible. I personally have was not of the generation. There's no excuse because there are I have friends that are so into it. I never transitioned to it actually being a reality-based comparison to driving. I yeah. still have it in the... It's a get. It's a. It's a experience okay, game yeah. version. I don't. I don't. That's probably why I don't drive them very well because I. I haven't transitioned to like the the conditions. Those test drivers must be in in Formula One. When yeah, you know, I don't think you get a drop a job now. I don't think you get hired unless you could. Um, you could perform on the sim. Do you agree? And I mean, this- you won't go to Formula One unless you're a. I mean, didn't they say Brendan Hartley was so good on the sim? That's one of the main reasons that you know. He obviously did really well mm. in the race car for Porsche. But he was so good in the sim that that was almost one of the main yeah. reasons he it's got like Max. Yeah. Max Verstappen is really good in a sim. Same for Lando. Um, but there's there was something recently, because I've done a bit of... Well, it's actually, there's a sim behind me. But the um, <laughs> of like a reasonable amount of on-track, not tons, 
but like reasonable amount of time on track racing and then also sim and now because i've got this at home i do more of that than i do on track cheaper easier you can do it in 20 minutes and then stop but i try and like equate one to the other and sort of pick up a bit of both um but there was a company i can't remember who who did it um i think it might be in gran turismo or something someone basically came up with a, a, a driver a, a sort of robo driver type thing whatever you call it um ai driver and they were they basically it ran iterations of a track and it could sort of you know work out parameters and whatever and stay on the track and it got to a point where it could do lap times that are just faster than anyone else because it's it's done everything but the thing that was really interesting to me is they did talk talk to racing drivers about it and what this car was doing the drive the driver was doing and they go like okay initially and then a couple of years later we're on version 10 or something and it would do stuff in certain corners that no one had ever thought of and people go oh i wouldn't have tried that and then they go out and do it and like oh no it is faster so it's in not too long we could get some real like really interesting sort of coaching type software that will run the the models of the track you're driving at and yeah there'll be a bit of difference between real life and the thing but it might suggest stuff that no one or no driver coach may have come across or no one suggests you and it could be faster which is I mean, really interesting. Genius, isn't it? And, I, I, and, and it makes sense because uh, AI can do things on um, in a way that we just in a way that we just can't. I mean, I remember that takes you all the way back to in the pre-data world. I remember at let's just say Brands Hatch at the hairpin. Whatever, what's that called? Mm. Top hairpin. You know, turn two. Whatever. Druids, whatever. Yeah. Druids, whatever. Is it Druids? Yeah. Druids. There's many conversations about where the line should be. Mm. If you've got a wider radius, in any other vehicle, in anything else in the planet, you will go faster if you take the wider radius, right? It's, it's physics. But we don't. We go on the inside unless it's wet, and then we go on the outside. Yeah. The AI would sort that out categorically. And I would be really driver, interested to know. Yeah, the, the, the AI feedback would be that at 3,600 revs in th- second gear, but you have to be in third gear rather than second because it's too yeah. much, you know, sort of torque going through it. You could actually run the outside line and gain 0.2 of a second. We, we just, because as drivers, when we went in to do it, and you might have that idea, you go and try it, but because it's new, you don't react well. You go, oh, God, yeah. it's loaded up differently, and you'd lift off, but the AI wouldn't lift off. The AI knows you hold a constant yeah. throttle. You know, you're right. I mean, stuff that, of course, we think Formula One teams don't have that. If you know about, if you've said to, Gran Turismo do it, I bet that's yeah. what they have, right? Their their simulation will tell them that that you know you should upshift here and take that. I mean, it's crazy. It is brilliant. But the one thing they can't do, the one thing AI cannot predict is us. So right. in a race, it cannot predict the shitty moves that the guy in front pulls, right? Because it can only predict what another AI would do. This is my supposition, right? Because AI against AI would, they would have the same data. So they would respond in the same way. But humans, we're just, you know, retards sometimes, right? We'll just pull a move and we'll react. We'll see him coming and we'll block him. Even against the rules, we'll block him. 
Now, yeah. the AI drive would just hit you because he wouldn't yeah. be expecting that. So human human weakness is, thank God, the only thing that will keep us you know, <laughs> in behind the wheel. And also, no one's interested in watching a bunch of AI cars go around. I think. Well, I don't think so, really, because it removes the key element. And I think the reason why, you know, lots of shows are interesting, why I find... You like taking photos, I like taking photos of cameras. It's people, it's a story. That's why we watch this stuff, really. Yeah. I mean, it, it totally is in the same way that, not saying I know anything about it, but in the same way there's like simulated anime porn, right? <laughs> so maybe as some generation that's fun to watch, but it probably isn't to our generation because they're, they're yeah. robots. It's, it's animated, it's not real. But there is a group of people of, you know, generation that probably think that's hot. So we're heading down all sorts of weird roads on that. And yeah, it, it, there's, there's room for all of these things out there. Um, yeah, it's very interesting. So you were talking, okay, let's wind back into a little bit of the racing. Um, you raced for Corvette, you raced Viper, yeah. and actually you pronounced the chassis company. Orica. Orica. Is that Orica? I don't know. I've heard Orica, Orica, whatever. Anyway. Then. I always said Orica, but it's probably Orica. You know. Whatever. Um, but that car, I have done some photography for the Endurance Racing Legends, which do the Peter Auto events, of which there are some of the GT2 Vipers driving around. And yeah. that, for me, playing PlayStation games growing up, it was always in Gran Turismo and stuff like that, is it's a cool car. But it... Isn't it? It's completely different to the road cars, oh, isn't it? That's the that's the discussion disclaimer I had to make for the last twenty five years. Is <laughs> they the Vipers, the road cars were so rudimentary. You know, they overheated. They were they they just were so rough to handle. I mean, kind of in a affectionate way, I guess. Uh, once you get if you were owner of one, but. And you got used to it. But the race car was fully prepared, as fully prepared as an evolved, as a modern day, uh, you know, uh, GT car. It it was the what Orica did to the chassis and in combination with Chrysler was incredible. I mean, we were dominant and massive horsepower. I mean, who would have thought you could have put, you know, a V10 front engine, heavy engine like that in the front of that and, and still create a great race car. So... Lots of downforce. I mean, the car was so good to drive. And on Michelin's, it was, it, we really had an advantage. And um took Porsche a lot of time to catch up at that time. Uh, they didn't really have a contender for it. And, you know, we, so people say, oh, that was a bag of crap to drive. And you go, yeah, not the race car. The race car was was <laughs> very sophisticated, you know, combination of a carbon fiber and a, and uh, you know a roll cage. I mean, it was just it was it was very quick. Yeah, much Hopper. much nicer to, and high and fast. I mean, we were well into the two yeah, well over two hundred on the straight at Le, at Le Mans. You know, whereas the prototypes were only doing like just about two hundred. But you know, <laughs> they had so much downforce, and we would go past them on the straight. You know, amazing. That was that must be. And were they? Uh... When was this? This was like, I've got it up. 97, Six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, uh, nine. Um, were they paddles or like a sequential stick? No. Manual? Ended up with a sequential stick. 
Um, but the first couple of years, we had a gear stick, which was really six speed bolts, which was really difficult. The same as the Vipers, oddly enough, on the road, because the gear stick sort of up a bit higher. So going from fifth to six would pinch your shoulder, you know, and so it's oh, right. here. Yeah, and you'd, like... you'd, you'd, and of course, the consequence, if you got lazy for going fifth to fourth, would have been, you know, a <laughs> 180 mile an hour lockup. So, you know, it was very conscious going into sixth gear and that hurt your shoulder. At Le Mans, it was like, oh my God, I've got to shift again. So you'd almost reverse your hand like that and, and uh, okay, push it yeah. across the box. Um, didn't have to be a fast shift. Uh, but yeah, it was, and then then it was just a, it was a sequential old fashioned, you know, it was good, for, cool for us at the time, sequential. Um, there was something about a centre mounted sequential lever though that I, I've never really talked to other drivers. It was, there was a, still a very physical, visceral experience to, bang, bang, you know, pushing it down, yeah. pulling it back instead of just flicking things on a steering wheel. Um, you know, you still had to take your hand off. Well, like you didn't form a cast for a long time, right? There was a little sequential yeah. lever to the right and you'd, you'd do it. So I don't, there's something about balancing a car, timing your shift, you know, use it. it I think you're very engaged when you're doing that. Um, the steering wheel is, is, I mean, you can't miss a shift. That's it. Yeah. You can't miss it. Yeah. So. Moves no. with your hands, whatever, two hands same. on the wheel we're the entire time. Yeah, we're all the same, yeah. It does. Um, I had um, Darren Turner on the podcast a while back, and he was saying his favorite, I think the favorite car he'd raced was the um, the DBR9, which was yeah. also, a, a, I think, a, a stick se- sequential in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you're doing, like you're saying, like so much. You're doing so much. You, you are really creating the lap time. You are in yeah. other cars, but like to put it all together, and I'm pretty, did the Vipers move around quite a lot? Oh yeah, I mean, you think we had no ABS until maybe the last year we did. Uh, the, so the car, you know, all that weight, if when you came in a little of, on an angle, the car be like moving around, and I mean it was well planted though. But you, you know, sometimes up towards 800 horsepower, so you know you had to control the power down. Um, I mean, it's you bring up an interesting point about, you know, like Darren said about you had to really control the car. Well, I think ABS is genius on road cars, but I'm not sure mm. why we put on race cars. I mean, I understand why Porsche would on the GT4 for the gentleman, you know, but you Maybe. you look at Daytona or Sebring and you've got the, you know, the GTD cars up against the GT. Actually, the GT cars, you know, the main cars, and they're quicker than them under braking, and especially in the wet, they can slaughter them. Yeah. You know, they can slaughter a twenty million dollar Corvette race program can be outbroked by you know again the the you know the urologist from Ohio in <laughs> in his GT4. Right? Doesn't make sense. It's like madness. Um, and being able to downshift and manually downshift balance the car on the brake, heel and toe, without locking out the brakes in the wet, that made you a better driver. We wouldn't have seen those stunning drives from Senna and all those people yeah. in, if, you, if they haven't been shifting gear in the wet. I mean, 
Could Senna at Donington have gone around the outside of everybody in the rain in that non-championship race if it had been the cars had all been the same under break? I don't think so. I don't think it would have missed no, moments of history. That's a really interesting point because it is. It's like we were talking about, you know, good people and truly great people. Like if you don't give them the opportunity to showcase that level of skill and like a modern GT3 car has got ABS and traction control and like everyone's, you know, you just smash the pedal. Yeah. Just, just smash the pedal and it sorts the rest out. And like, there's so braking. I like, I've raced, I don't think I've ever raced with ABS. Maybe a little bit. I did Citroen C1 once. Um, cool. That had ABS and the ABS was pretty yeah. awful, but it made driving in the wet so much less sketchy. <laughs> so much less sketchy. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. It does. And, and you know, I mean, we can't, you can't, Go backwards with technology. I understand that, but I remember one of the guys. Uh, I did a uh, BMW Ray Hall Letterman Racing, Lanigan Racing. They do a they bring out BMW meet, uh, communications in here in California in in America. They bring out a lot of the old cars, and we go to Mid Ohio. They do like a couple of days at Mid Ohio, and it, they invite journalists and things and. They have the, you know, that's the last time I drove um, a McLaren, the McLaren. They have a 96 FINA-sponsored, you know, Le Mans F1 mm. GTR. And um, so I go off in it and I'm driving around and it's just so sublime, you know. You know, and you're, and I remember I did a silly little YouTube video. And I was doing something for GoPro, actually. So we filmed the whole thing, but I also had a helmet my own helmet cam on, but it wouldn't see over the dash. It actually just looked at my feet. And all these kids, when I put it to YouTube, were like, what's that new technique, man? That's really cool. It was heel and toe, obviously. <laughs> and they had a journalist go out, and a young journalist, because, you know, if you work for a big magazine, you get the chance. Yeah. And they had to pull him in. <laughs> Screaming revs, over-revving it. They're like, okay, you're out. And then they talked about it, that the a lot of the, obviously, you can teach a, these young drivers are so talented. It takes them six minutes to learn how to heel and toe and do everything, you know. If, but the junior factory drivers aren't, have never driven a manual car. Yeah. So they can't drive the museum cars. Yeah. Because they've never heeled and, heel and towed. You cannot drive a historic sports car or Indy car or Formula One car if you can't heel, down, if you can't heel and toe because they've never done it. You know, it's, so... You need it's quite funny training. seeing some of these yeah. drivers do it because, um, and and obviously I think some of them they're like, oh, hang on a minute, I'm going to drive a historic Ferrari or whatever. I better go and get some practice in. But there's a d- big difference between getting a bit of practice in and all your racing your entire life being in a manual car. Like that's a complete different wealth of knowledge, and I'm sure. Well, I don't know. You're saying this other journalist went out, or this journalist went out in the F1 GTR. I'm sure he was like probably okay. He's probably a pretty good down driver. Yeah, probably pretty good. But like, that's not the same. No, no, you just got the wrong skill set. It's like, I mean, honestly, you. We grew up. Anyone. I mean, you know, think of the guys that you could. Li- if you had to jump in a car and drive it fast, and you had five laps, cold start, never seen the cars before, and you put Martin Brundle and Jonathan Palmer, and you know. To any of that era, right? Johnny, you know, Premier McCarthy, all the old guys and Johnny Herbert and everyone, 
and then and then you and all the way through to DC and those guys, that we just go and do it. Whereas if you put yeah. us up against Lando and all those guys, it'll take them a couple of laps to work out why are they braking so late? How are they balancing the car? I really think it would, you know, because we, we it's like we, we it's like riding a bike. We know that's all we knew for all those years. Yeah. But you know, in the end, talent is. I really believe talent's talent. So it's just you adapt to the technology, right? These guys are freaking yeah. amazing at a higher level than any other driver has ever been because of the way they they know nothing else, right? Yeah, Their and technology. I think everyone everyone loves to bash like a an F1 driver for not being able to drift or something, which used to be a thing, I think, like 10 years ago. And now they've all gone, okay, well, I feel like we should probably go and learn to do that. And then funnily enough, they have un- unbelievable car control, unbelievable like yeah. connection to the car. They're going to pick this stuff up pretty damn quickly. So, let alone the fact they're yeah. going to practice it 3,000 times before they ever get in the real car, back to your sim thing. You know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. Yes, that's it. Uh, It was very interesting. I was at a a BMW revealed their new LMDH V8 hybrid um, Mm. uh, GTP car at the Peterson on Wednesday night last Thursday last week. And uh, Colton Herter was there. It was great chatting with him, with his dad, Brian Herter, obviously the whole thing about the super license and stuff. But I didn't talk about it. I just said, I just said what just, you know, as as someone that has never done it. What was what was it like when you jumped in the? Um, uh, can you hear me? All right, I just hit something yeah. by accident. Shoot! Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when you're in a Formula One car, just what's that like? He went. You know, it's the power. The way they come off corners is unbelievable, and the amount you have to deal with on a lap. You you have so many controls on everything that you we can't even imagine it. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, as he said, a 10-stop control with 10 options on each stop with 30 options in the next menu. And you're yeah. doing that driving around Spa. It's in the wet with other cars around you. That's like, and you're it looks so the simple. And you settings between corners. You're changing. Yeah. I mean, I remember it was outrageous. I remember the first time I learned that, like, you know, the Formula One drivers would change the brake bias between corners. That seemed a lot. Now they're changing all sorts of stuff. It's it's pretty wild. It is it is mental, and it's it's impossible to get your head around. It, and it, I think mm. it's another one of those things where I think some people look at Formula One drivers and go, "That just looks easy." And and the modern cars do look so smooth when you drive them, which looks easy. But they're going so fast. They're so they're on the edge. They're, you can't be any more on the edge than they're on. They're getting, they're literally going as fast as you can go in those cars. And they're doing these 50 million things at the same time. And occasionally someone will scream in from the pits being like, oh, can you just do this? And then the, and the driver will go, can you not talk to me mid-corner yeah. no wonder at they 160 yeah, yeah, exactly. miles an hour, please? <laughs> yeah, and, and also... That wasn't that funny in the last conference. Which team was it? The, and even the announcers were like, "I think we're just bullshitting now." It's like, let's go to option F, Plan G. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't. I mean, honestly, I struggled to log into this. I mean, how the fuck is it? Option G? You know, oh shit, you got you know Hamilton up your ass, and you're like, can't remember what Plan C was. You know, yeah, it's, it is wild. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's exactly. Definitely, definitely wild. Um, but it makes for good entertainment. So yeah, it's a sport because we love it. 
It is. It is. It is very cool. So you did a bunch of racing, and then did you move to the states mid that? Yeah. No, I actually at the end of the Viper years, end of '99, I got uh, uh, headhunted by Corvette launching their you know World Sports Car Program to go and race for them, and I knew the Viper program was wrapping up. It might have one more year, but I knew that the program was winding down. So, I mean, to get asked to go and join Corvette was incredible. So next year I was at Daytona, and that was the year that a, a GT car won overall, the Viper won overall. But can you imagine it was my old car and my new car, the Viper was wounded, and we were, Ron Fellows was catching him by like 12 seconds a lap, and we lost the race by 3.2 seconds. And, I mean, we just needed another lap. We need another quarter of a mile, and we'd have won it. But I'm like, no, yeah. that, that was the car I just left. And now it's just won the Rolex 24 at Daytona. <laughs> I'd have had the watch. Um, and uh, so then we, so that was second there. And then we podiumed at, uh, you know, we, did, we DNF'd at Sebring. And and for, for whatever reasons, I uh, still never really found out that that program I didn't get continued at the end of that year. It wasn't performance-based. I think it was personality-based. And uh, there's politics. And so then I went off into other forms of GT racing, you know, equivalent mm. to like British, let's say, touring car championship or whatever over here. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But the TV started to evolve. And once that started, I was, I knew, you know, I knew I wanted to, to be really good at and- TV. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And one thing that I know a lot of the, the YouTubers I know, and it's very obvious when you watch someone on a TV program, did you sort of develop a TV persona or like a, did you go, you know, I need to ramp up when I'm on TV or anything like that? But, well, I mean, I give people advice when they say, how shall I do even a speech? You know what I mean? To some, I say, I've got to say that as ourselves, we're a little boring. I don't care yeah. who you are, you know, TV or presenting requires a 10% amplification of who you are. If you go 40%, then you're going to look like a dick, right? But, you know, just you can't be just yourself. If You know, imagine getting up on stage. Imagine uh, imagine uh, DC and Jensen at the Formula 1 going, no, that was great. That was a good race. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, I was having a coffee and, I mean, it was good. You know, it was nice. And Max did all right, didn't he? You know, you go, oh, that's boring. You need them to be like this a bit. So, yeah, you definitely do. But for me, I my I like being funny. I enjoy my, I enjoy like almost messing it up and, 
you know, as someone once said to me, if you don't, if you're not in danger of almost getting fired every time you do TV, then you're not really doing it right. Um, and so I embrace that. I, I, I really found a niche. I think though the problem was is that when, well, when uh, IMSA went from Fox Sports to NBC, NBC is a much more conservative com- company, uh, be- believe it or not, than Fox Sports. Uh, and I just didn't fit their mold. I mean, you know, uh, saying the things I said and being the way I am, it just didn't really fit. So, and weirdly enough, it's just the bizarre thing of the world we live in. We're evolving as humans and yet we're regressing in terms of what's permitted. You know, is you know, in France, when I was five years old, there's boobs on billboards, right? You know what I mean? And now it's like we're almost going puritanical with some of this crap. It's, it's very weird. No grid girls, right? Tell that to the girls that don't work on the grid anymore who've lost their jobs. I mean, you know what I mean? We, we go into this weird place, don't need to get into it. But I, that's why the web really opened up for me. And I don't have a personal following that I think maybe I should, but I work for a lot of brands and and do a lot of work like that. But with IMSA uh, doing that, that's what allowed us to start the talk show, which was me and another guy called Tommy Kendall, who's a Hall of Fame British American driver uh, and uh, a producer called Jason Jacobson, who was with IMSA and NASCAR Productions. And we left. I said, I've always wanted a chat show. So now I have a chat show. Yeah. And, uh, you know, within reason, you can't quite say what you want when you're sponsored by a big brand like Michelin, as we were. But um, you can certainly say a lot more than they can on TV. And I think the fans respond to that. Yeah, and having your own show. Like that, it's, it's my favorite thing about this podcast, for example. Like, it's my podcast. Yeah. Occasionally, early days, people would be like, oh, you can't talk about that because of whatever. Yeah, they just have some opinion about yeah, yeah, totally. you know, this. I think someone was like, yeah, we don't want to hear about you, like about me. I was like, fine, okay, right. um, whatever. But at the same time, it is my podcast. I can yeah. say whatever I like. I can well, ask I do, whatever I, do I like. The same thing. Yeah, yeah, and, and you, you, you guide it. I mean, I remember you, you do it off your it's your personality. It's my personality. It's the, it's the mix. It's how you get good interviews, how you chat with people. But I remember it's Jay Leno. When I did a lot of work for him, when I came over to LA, that's what brought me to LA from Florida. And, you know, people would make heinous posts about him or letters. And he's like, what do you think? I can, I have 17 million viewers a night, you know, on a big night. You think if I have, a thousand letters, even a thousand letters telling NBC that I'm shit and I should change it. Doesn't add up. You don't change yeah. for one person or a, if you have 17 million people. He said, well, I wouldn't even be on TV, would I? You know, and so yeah. you just keep doing your own thing and and, and do it your own way. And, and the, it's sort of that's I, I've got to believe in the long play that uh, that my style is is more genuine and authentic than than uh, what they can do on TV. Yeah, that that point there about, you know, ignoring the the thousand letters or whatever. We we seem to have lost that. No, I don't not necessarily individuals, but companies and media companies and all these sorts of things. You know, you get five comments on Twitter. Yeah. So what? And they change. Right. 
I do work. I do work for. Uh, it was something with Haggerty we did at uh, an event, and they're like, um, I was hosting something for them because you know they're just doing so well right now, and mm, yeah. uh, they went, uh, oh yeah, well we need to kind of change the format a little bit because there's, you know, there were people saying that uh, it wasn't enough cars and it was too much of you and Tommy. And so then Jason went back and looked through every comment. And it's one guy with 96 followers in Chicago. Yeah. That's it. So, I mean, I hate to say it, mate. Don't watch. That's it. You know, yeah. not going to change it for you. Don't like it. Don't watch. Don't like it. Yeah. And, and it's the old thing, you know, bad news travels well, nine times faster than good news. People, yeah. people love to talk shit rather than... Rather than that, so I mean, I definitely think in today's world, you know, to do a to to report on things with a candid and open way is in in is it really important? Uh, but as we know, the the media, the mainstream media doesn't allow that, and uh, and so I think that's where podcasts have become the new form of news. You know, Joe Rogan is the form of news here in America for most of us, right? Because he'll just report on things and they tried to take him down, but they couldn't. That was interesting. That was very interesting. And, you know, there's other examples of of that. Um, And in sport, you know, I always, I I remember once uh, the the guy who was running IndyCar at the time called me in and said, uh, just, I've met him at a dinner and he came from, the rodeo world or whatever. And he was uh, quite an uh, interesting choice to run the company at the time. Didn't last long. But he was like, what do you think of it? And I go, I just, I said, okay. I said, it just doesn't, it isn't presented right. I said, let's just imagine Sean White, because it was massive at the time, you know, is in the half pipe at the Olympic. Forget the Olympics, just at whatever event. And he's doing this extraordinary triple flip 20 feet above the lip of the half pipe. And then you cut to three guys in blazers with gold buttons standing there with bad shoes in the snow. You go, what? 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 Yeah, it yeah, just yeah. doesn't make sense. So why do we? Why are you reporting on the sexy, sexy men and women doing these sports that, you know, they drive fast, they play, they do everything they want to do, and we have to put reports in there like they're accountants. You know, yeah. it's, it's not real life. We don't all live like that. So, um, so I'm glad that there's. There's outlets that showcase the like yourself, like what I do, that showcase the the reality of them. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it's it's why loads of these shows, even whether it's like a thing that's I don't watch much, but I could see why you might is like people that live stream an event, a match, uh, whatever, and then do their own commentary over whether it whatever it is football, Le Mans, whatever. But it's like a bunch of mates and it's they're saying the stuff that the people behind, you know, on the sofa are saying to each other and they're like, oh, this is amazing. This is what we want to hear. Yeah, I mean, I've thought about doing that for for years with IMSA and, you know, sitting Tommy, me, Paul Tracy, other people, Patrick Dempsey calling it. And it's just like, what the fuck were they doing that for? You know what I mean? It's real, right? But, But then... I think it'd be nice if you had a lot of money in the bank and you could just do shit like that because it was fun. True. You know, in reality, you you need to have some money behind you so you can do it and not care about sponsors. And then if you did it, I think you'd get sponsors, you know? Yeah. Um, or it's been your 
your sort of journey, you've started off as this, it was a side thing you did and it's grown to a size yeah. where people can't ignore yeah. you anymore. Like Joe yeah, Rogan, totally. it, yeah. he's hit such a size and all that stuff that came out. With, and I take yeah. pretty much everything that comes out of the media nowadays with a pinch of salt of like, Oh, you know, so-and-so said this, so-and-so said that. And I'm like, yeah, but do we have the context? Do we have the full no. situation? And we, don't, and we don't research it and we don't. You know, that is still why there's no – sport remains relatively pure in its re- media reporting because there's no advantage commercially to distorting the facts, right, of, yeah. of why – Max is so fast or whatever. And the teams might distort it and Ferrari might lie a bit about, or, you know, or we, we, our strategy would have worked if no one else was on the track. You know, it, yeah. it's sort of, <laughs> uh, I mean, I understand why big money corporations have to defend their position, but as far as the drivers and the way you, all of us can report, and I think we're allowed to be pretty pure on it. Yeah, but not when it comes at the end to, of the day. You've got to finish else. first. Not when it comes to big pharma and politics, that's all bullshit. So, you know. Yeah. So the, I think one of the funny ones was like, uh, what was it? F1 last, end of last season? Was it last season? Was it even the before? With the whole Max, Lewis, kerfuffle, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And you had so many people, this is a classic like social media type thing. Everyone came out and was like, I'm never, everyone a section of people. I'm never watching this again. Blah, 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 blah. This is awful. And it was all the stuff that was like not on track. But then this year has had the greatest viewing, viewing figures ever because of all this drama. Everyone's like, Ooh, what's this? What's going on? Yeah. I mean, drive to survive has changed the face of sports, of of formula one sports perception. Of sports, of all sports. You're right. It's a great way of putting it. I mean, people here, people here have never watched Formula One. Formula One struggled to make it in the American market. And now we're having three races next year. That's yeah. outrageous. I mean, three races. You couldn't get to the Miami Grand Prix this year. You could not physically. I mean, if you didn't, weren't prepared to spend five grand and upwards on a ticket, you couldn't yeah. go. Um, it's unbelievable. It's uh, it's it's shows that the right social, you know, the right presentation of the people and the drivers, and I mean, it's it's amazing. So yeah, I mean, it's great. So I don't think it would work in sports cars. I mean, you know, it's like Top Gear, right? Top Gear was genius and brilliant, and all the other versions of it, America or otherwise, are just crap imitations it's like a bad tribute band you know you you watch those three because they're great yeah and uh it's a bit like that with formula one formula one set the bar that's it everyone else is trying to do their own shows advertising for yeah from an advertising point of view and stuff i've heard it a few times they basically go yeah so in car racing there's formula one which is pretty much the only one worth doing if you if you're a big company, mm-hmm. and then there's no point in doing any of the others in terms of no. sponsorship. Like, yes, you might have a vested interest or whatever, but in terms of hitting people and eyeballs, Formula One is just like woof, the top. Totally, totally. It's it's remarkable. It's funny, you know. I, I was wearing. A, I have a 
uh, stunt coordinator for Ford versus Ferrari sent me a shirt. He was on my show a while back, and uh, mm. Robert Nagel, and he sent me a, it was a really nice shirt. The T-shirt's got Ford versus Ferrari graphics on and everything. Even I was wearing it yesterday, and even the guy in the store was like, oh, I love the shirt. That movie, for example, did more to tell people, even my dad, Sierra, people, and it's certainly, you know, 10 years a lot more than 10, 1966, a lot more than that. You know, I was born a couple of years later, but 20 years before I went there, show people what that race is all about. People yeah. are like, oh, I get it now. Get what Le Mans about. You know, I didn't realize what it was in, yeah. involved. And you're like, the power of of pop culture is amazing, you know. Um, and uh, it's just, it's great when something comes out uh, that really does... Um, promote you know promote our sport there is a new series there's a new movie that's going to come out they're about to embark on it and uh i i know it's uh they put it in the it was in the media the other day so i'm sure it's it, you know most of the details are out but you know it's the story of that kid yan marlboro you know his story basically with the nissan academy going to le mans boom i mean yeah. what an inspirational story it's been waiting to be made Right, because yeah. that is a genuine rags to riches story. I yeah. mean, unbelievable, and uh, kills someone on the way in a crowd, you know, in a ra- and it, does he do it? Should he carry on? I mean, it's just—I think it'll be hugely popular. Wish I was involved, yeah. but you know, I love the yeah, story. Very, so cool, and a, and a real marker of these shows, whether it's Drive to Survive or Top Gear, and all the ones that really sort of stand out, that break the mold is when your relative or your friend who's not interested in cars or whatever goes, yeah, I watch that. It's quite fun. Yeah. I'll enjoy I it. I get it. I enjoy like it. it. Especially when I, I think it, and those who are really responsible for a lot of these really talented girls that are getting into racing. Cause I've got to say when I was young, there was one, I wonder what happened to Emily. She was racing against us in formula Ford. I was meant to look on in, Facebook and see if she was see around. Happened, yeah. I've got to find her last name. But she was the only girl in my first three years of racing I ever saw. Um, and now it's through karting and everything. And I think especially with the way society is, you've got a lot more chance. Um, my only comment would be if you're good, you're good. You should have a chance of a drive if you're bad, just, you know, just because of gender or persuasion or color. I think you shouldn't. You know, why would you have them? You, it's good, you know, racing eventually, you're going to look like a, you're not going to look good enough, right? It's like, yeah. doesn't matter what you're from. If you're on a tennis court, eventually you're not going to look good enough up against someone else. And, uh, but the fact is, if you get the opportunity, and I'm really glad that so many different people are getting the opportunity, in the end, they still got to perform. That's all we care about, you know? Yeah. I, I think we've seen it quite a lot in sort of sports car racing um, with, are they called the Iron Dams? Yeah, uh, something like that. Who were smashing it in GT yeah. cars, um, yeah. and that sort of thing. You know, like a female-only team, and you might get some people like, oh, whatever. Regardless, like it's amazing, and yeah. I think there's so much opportunity for. Well, to be honest, a female-only team are going to be able to get sponsors that yeah. men cannot get. And they can get all the other ones as well. But they might be able to bring other brands, uh, more into eyeballs our into our sport, which is great for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's uh, anything that right lifts 
you know, as I say, a rising tide lifts all boats. And anything that brings more people and more awareness. I remember Elio Castroneves said to, you know, his buddy saying about Danica, she's not the highest paid IndyCar driver. She's the highest earning IndyCar driver at the time because mm. of all of her endorsements yeah. and what she bought to it. And every one of them were like, yeah, this is great. You know, we don't get on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. We don't get, you know, we don't get magazine covers. More people know about us. So, you know, anything to keep us all going. Because I do think we're going to enter into a, a little bit more of a tougher era with electrification and all that. I think it's yeah. not, you know, it's, it's a long way off before we're not driving noisy racing cars. Because the option is not well, the one, fun, is it? It comes up every now and then. And I don't particularly talk about Formula 1 too much, but... Formula One, um, you know, everyone's complains the engines need to change because of et cetera, et cetera. And I understand from a manufacturer point of view, from a marketing, how you might want to skew things, but that's not really what we've done in the last, whatever it is, 20 years in Formula One. It's the circus that follows Formula One. That is the only thing that matters in terms of eco credentials. Like we, they should all have whatever. 15,000 RPM, V8, V12s, because the fuel mm. they use is just inconsequential versus no. the trucks that are getting flown across the world. I still think we say, I mean, this statistic has been around for 20 years, but I think the entire season of Formula One, or maybe even global motorsports, uses the same gas as 1747 London, Miami. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, let's just say it's 200,000 gallons. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But something but like some, that. Someone yeah, can yeah. prove it right. It's just, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It does, I mean, you know, it, it really doesn't matter. You know, how much gas does the, does the US president's cavalcade use when it lands in another country with, you know, 50 vehicles it brings yeah. in and stuff? Really? You know, um, no, it's all perception, isn't it? And everything's perception and, uh, Formula E, you know, everyone's, well, everyone did Formula E just long enough to, to hit their social credit yeah. score. So now they can go back into LMD, create an LMDH, you know. And it's yeah. really impressive how those cars can go from 0 to 60 on the electric engine before they kick in a V8. Yes. I'm, I'm being slightly sarcastic. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's magnificent that it powers them off. And, of course, you can distribute electric power anywhere you want. Right, so it can go to the right wheel, it can go to the left wheel. It can. I mean, it's it's pretty genius. I mean, as an engineer, it must be what a fabulous tool to have. Is instant torque to be applied where you want it in the car, at any, any direction? I mean, it's like the was, holy grail. So that's why yeah. these cars. I say, I got to tell you, I'm very excited for next year. I think we're we're, in my opinion, in for the globally the the heyday of sports car racing in its modern form and could last three years, could last five years, as long as it can. We know it's on a cycle. It always is in sports cars. Formula One never seems to have the cycle. You know, this does, sports cars do, and because of the manufacturers. And we're in for the this undeniable heyday with the 100th of Le Mans next year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the number of manufacturers that are grasshold of the LMDH, GTP rules. It's just stunning. Lamborghini. I mean, it's going to be insane. great. It's, it's insane. It's insane. So we're in for something really special. And, um, you know, I hope, you know, we're there with the talk show sort of right there watching it and 
um, you know, seeing it all. Technology to us as fans is there are fans that love the technology, but on-track action is not determined by technology. It's only ruined right. normally by too much technology. <laughs> yeah. Back to the thing, if you, you know, have steel brakes, not carbon brakes, you, you increase the braking distances. If you, you know, I mean, anything that can be done, less downforce, harder to overtake. So, I mean, there's, yeah. there's, the technology has stunted a lot of our ability to, to watch great racing. But technology overcomes the regulations, right? In Formula One, they go and put the groove in the middle of the tire or whatever that was, and they're still going faster within like two test days because they're so freaking brilliant and so many resources. They just overcome. So, well, you better ask me your five questions. Yeah, we should. Did we already answer them? We should. No, 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 no. Do you have a most memorable driving trip or journey? Yeah. Can it be? Okay. It's two parts. This dad used to tell us when he raced for Ferrari, he was with. He had a two seventy five GTB. No seats, you know, only a parcel shelf in the back. My sister and I, both under the age of three years old, wrapped in ski jackets because there were no car seats <laughs> back then. And my mum is in front, asleep in the front. And in this beautiful GT Ferrari heading down to Modena, uh, he said on the Austin Strider, he did 175 miles an hour. And he just sat there with <laughs> all asleep, thinking this is what a world. Anyway, I always grew up with that story. Through my buddy, uh, Russ Malkin, when we were in my early 20s, we used to do this thing called London to Venice Orient Express Challenge. And it was ahead before they started doing all the cannonballs and all these things, you know, all yeah. those bull runs and stuff. We'd drive from London, Victoria to Venice without using a highway, flat the fuck out. I mean, it was <laughs> using French villages as apexes in the night. And anyway, there was a guy on this uh, called Mike Lake who was uh, into co- comics and comic business, long hair, kind of funny-looking guy, really nice. He had a Daytona, same as Dad had, all those years before. And I told him this story, and he said, well, let's retrace the route back to England. And so after the event was over, I drove back with him, and we did, like, smooth as silk, GT, original GT cars, really, at Grand Touring and 175 miles an hour on the Autostrada. And I remember awesome. thinking, this is, this, this is like me retracing the steps, and... Dad was right. This car will do it. So it was just, to me, that will always stand out as a very memorable drive. That is super cool. It, we, we've definitely lost a lot now with modern GT cars, uh, 812, whatever, all that sort of stuff. Hmm. They're comfortable doing like 150 all day long, but you just can't, you can't do it now. Can't That's do it. it at like 80. No, I know. That's no fun, is it? It's just no fun. So you got then got to drive older stuff again. You got to drive older. It's a bit more stuff. sketchy. Yeah, that's why I think everyone loves it. You know, the connection. Yeah. yeah. If you could drive one car, you can only drive one car for the rest of your life, and then you have something super cheap on the side. So you got one pick, whatever, and then you got something <laughs> cheap on the side that fills family duties or whatever. So, and I normally say like five hundred pounds, so it's like a proper, well, with inflation, let's say let's say a thousand. I would, that is a really difficult question, isn't it? Because you immediately go, well, how much money do I have to spend? Is it, you know, do I, but you're right. If I had one car for the rest of my life, 
I'd love to say a 911 Turbo. I would. I'd love to say that. But in reality, if I had to live in a car apocalyptically and drive anywhere, it would be a Range Rover. I think because, oh. uh, you know, because you're a bit fucked, aren't you, in your 911 Turbo when the roads are stopped and you can't get across. What are you going to do? You can't get up the curb. Can't drive anywhere. I can't, you know what I mean? So it's like, I can't take the family when they're older in it. Yeah, um, it's true. I can't do anything in it. So, ooh. So. But you could have like a Passat having, or something on the side. I could have a Passat on the side. I could have an old, I could have a real old shit, a Zuzu or something, couldn't I? To get out. Mm. Okay, I would have a, um, I'd probably, uh, yeah. I'd, I'd go with a. I'd, I'd probably actually go to a Ferrari. I probably would. I'd probably go with. I mean, money notwithstanding. I mean, like a Lusso or something because mm. I think they're so beautiful. Ferrari Lusso, elegant, beautiful, stylish. You'd look good. It feels good. That'd be me. Yeah. Tick. Uh, what do you think is the most undervalued car at the moment? At the moment, it's tricky. Tricky, tricky in today's market. Oh, that's a real, that's a real tough one, isn't it? Um, I, I mean, it's so difficult because so, there's no such thing as a bad car now. You know, even you know, look at the cars that Hyundai are bringing out and Kia. I mean, yeah. unbelievable cars that you drive and you go, oh my god, this does everything other than emotionally connect to me. But you know, it does, it does everything. Um, oh, okay, a car that. Uh, is under underrated. I mean, in a way, I'm going to go back to. It's so funny. I, in a way, I'll go back to my Range Rover. Range Rover. You know, you live in a place like LA, and Range Rovers. You know, you almost need to spray mud on the side so you look like you use it properly. <laughs> but yeah. I'll go back to the fact that if you take a full-blooded, full-fledged Range Rover, you can you could do 140 miles an hour on the highway. You could probably whatever they do. You could. You could climb mountains, you could go across rivers, you could literally go anywhere on the face of the planet in one of those and also go to the fanciest restaurant. Yeah. I don't think there's another big... So I think they've lost that. I think they don't want to lose that in their marketing. But, you know, the average person that buys one doesn't ever, ever, ever use its capabilities and the Range Rover still can do it. But it still sort of has to have it, doesn't it? Like you said, it's it's got to have that... It could do it. It's like... When people are buying supercars now, yeah. they want to see some, Chris Harris, yourself, someone yeah. sliding it around, ragging it on the racetrack, and then they'll just drive you know, to the shops and back. But, they're like, yeah. but it could do a really fast Nürburgring time or something. Yeah. They, they totally. want it in the back. They want it in the back. And that's why, you know, so I still, I still rate them very, very highly. It's probably a crap answer, but that's what I'll go with. That's all right. That's all right. What is the most interesting car to you at the moment? What are you Googling, looking up, and ooh. Ooh, that's interesting. Um, you know, I, I'm kind of intrigued. I've driven very few electric cars, but I we were trying to launch a show called Talk, Electric Talk under our brand, mm-hmm. um, sort of bringing two ex-car you know, races champions that are finding out all about electric cars. Um, yeah. And so I've been doing quite a lot of research. And, you know, you look at these these lucids and the vinfasts and the, you know, really yeah. unbelievable. But as even I'm talking to one of the guys that was in that world, you know, the barrier to entry on electric is actually very low. 
because you buy yeah. all the technology in. It's all modular. You buy it and then come up with, oh, no, I, I launched the new DeLorean at Pebble Beach. Oh, nice. Actually, DeLorean is back, and I launched their new car, revealed it, uh, Alpha 5. Really, you know, doors open up. It's cool as shit. But, um, yeah, so so I, in a way, I'm, I'm looking at looking at that. But I do get drawn to all the sexy stuff, you know, like, you know, the... the uh, Ferrari, you know, I did stuff with Ferrari with the Roma. But I tell you, okay, the car that I most recently uh, looked up, I'm going to butcher this, the new Ferrari SUV, which is not an SUV, it's a sports car. And they're coming out with it. Was it called the... It pure, sounds like... Purasang? Purasang? Uh, something like that? Pure, pure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we should get this something right like for people. Okay. A pure lang, so Anyway. It's Purasang, it but I don't know how you say it. It's going to have extraordinary levels of performance and typically being Ferrari, they're saying, you know, it's not an SUV. It's a Ferrari sports car. It's what we make. What are you talking about? And it's, <laughs> but I think that's going to be very exciting. I mean, the, I remember when the BMW X, I'm a massive BMW X5, X6M fan yeah. and uh, they're coming out with a new X5M, I think. And yeah, I remember when I heard that was $130,000 at the time. I'm like, what? Yeah lunatic would spend that on an SUV. And then you had the Eurus that's one hundred and eighty to $200,000. And then, you know, we've got the, you know, you've got the Aston Martin, which is divine, you know, the SUV. That's just mm. sublime to drive. So I'm, I'm intrigued, right? These, these levels of performance being pushed in a car, you get four people, a dog and a Starbucks. It's, yeah, it's, it is, it's, it is completely mad. It, it's, it's just completely bonkers, but yeah, kind of cool and it's got a v12 yeah. which yeah. puts it so above I any of the I'm others into it. i'm into it that's the last car i google searched to find out about mm. yeah right final question five car garage unlimited value uh 1995 isle of more harrods lamont car would be in there a gtr nice. definitely have that i'd have a daytona because i'd need that uh 275 gtb you know data um i would have um I would have uh, a, I'd have an early 911. I'd like a 70s RS, early 70s RS, just because it's mm. just, I Which love one? them. Um, I don't know, like a 72 RS, probably, you know, just in orange if I could have it. I, yeah. I think that'd be pretty nice. Um, and that lovely kind of orange that they did the 70s cars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I would have a new 911 Turbo. Because I drove it the other day and I thought, okay, this is me, my cup of tea, totally. I just <laughs> loved it. Uh, you know, I'd have the Aston Martin SUV. That's what I'd have. The, the, and would you have the 707? That's the like, Yeah. Have you driven that absolutely. one? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, why not? I haven't driven it, but yeah, that, let's upgrade me to that. I think I'd be pretty happy that way. That would be a good garage. I think you'd have a pretty good setup there. Yeah, sure. I really would. Because, you know, old cars are wonderful, but like we've had, it was 110 here two weeks ago. 112, which I don't need. It's 46 degrees, 48 degrees, 45, 46. Hot. And my friends in their classic cars, you know, you see them. It's like, oh, I'm right now. I saw one this morning. Guy's driving on this old Jag windows open. I'm thinking he feels like a god. It's 80 degrees. It's just cool. But at 110, (laughs) cars stop. They don't work. You know, I basically blow up my girlfriend's 996, you know, because the almost oil pissing out of it. 
when it was 110 yeah. degrees. They can't handle it. They could, you know, <laughs> nowhere in Germany did they visualize 110 degrees. So, so old cars are cool, but not not not, not cool enough sometimes. Yeah, not cool enough. Okay, I've got one more question actually that I've just thought of, and it's a bit left field because I know you like taking photos. And yeah. One camera body, one lens. Oh, okay. Very. <laughs> I'm. I'll always be with Leica. I, I okay. love Leica cameras. Um, I would. I would have my M10. Uh, over there. Uh, my M10, which is the digital version of of their original film camera with a 50 millimeter Summerlux lens, which is what I have. Love the 50 millimeter lens, but yeah. I'll tell you what I'm using at the moment is this uh, Q2. The Ooh. new, you know, this is, I've got one of them. Do you like the Q2? I've got Sorry, that. I've got the same one as you. And I, love it. I use it I've all the time. I've got to say, maybe the best all round camera in the world. I, I mean, cause, cause like, you know, I, you're probably the same as me. You know, the trouble with the range finder is that I have to, have to focus it you know when someone's there and i do love that challenge but when you're out uh when you're outside you know i was doing this thing i took a photograph put it up on my site like a racer on my instagram and you know bobby rayhall just pointed at me snap shot you can't do that with a rangefinder yeah you know so so i'm kind of kind of in love with this a lot right now yeah for sure i i got one i got that q2 the whatever it is reporter edition fairly recently and i've the my problem is the the autofocus like if something's moving yeah not 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 so good but uh for ages i I can't hack the rangefinder thing like manually focusing like that is i I find it impossible mainly because i shoot cars so like yeah you you, you, you shoot cars so you need that yeah yeah you need i shoot people mainly you know what i mean yeah i mean i have the sl2 Mm. with a uh, 50 lens on it and i love that camera but it doesn't emotionally connect to, connect to me as much as, as my m10 yeah and this, even this there's Q2, something about it like yeah also the specifically the likers i've never really i would say up until i've owned the q2 and that's probably really the only one that i, I don't know i like the srs and stuff like that but it it didn't connect to me like i've got a sony what's this one a74 yeah, yeah. Phenomenal. But like, it's a tool. It's 100% a yeah. tool to me. I don't go like, I wouldn't just sit and like look no. at it. But like, I pick up my Q2. And I'm just like playing with how the battery goes in. Yeah, I know. Goes back I know. out. And I'm like, it's, it's, and it's they really, really have weird. simplified it. It's got a very, and you know, there's something um, totally name dropping here. But I went to a Leica event at the Leica store LA on Wednesday. My girlfriend got tickets to it. And Seal has yeah, yeah. a photographer and he had an exhibition and he was there and actually she and i met at Rensport when he was singing for five years okay. ago he was the performer and so he didn't know uh, you know i was like oh just so you know your reason we're together and then we got talking about the cameras and things and he's a super nice guy and i was saying how we're talking about the why Leica compared to bigger cameras you know like yeah. the big nikons like the big canons and sony's and stuff and this just people just you just can get right yeah. in their face. They they still it's fully digital, by the way. You can do it to your app, people, you know, and take the yeah. picture straight off it. But it gives you an accessibility in that old school way. And uh, he agreed. He said, you know, I said your predecessors, you know, 
the Rolling Stones, people like that. That's why we have these incredible pictures because they would be backstage with their rangefinder or whatever it was. And yeah. there was a, it was, there was no threat to it. They'd, yeah. you know, take photographs. Now we come in with those massive big lenses and <laughs> people pull go, one out, just like it. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly they're terrified of you, but you get yeah. in with this little Q2 far away. I, um, I resisted it and now I've got it and I'm, I'm dramatically impressed. It's- it's significantly altered. Like I don't take pictures of people that often and having that camera, especially it's 28 and you can yeah. sort of crop down a bit and whatever, but like you've got to get in people's faces. And like, I generally avoid that with photography, but I'm now like, okay, this, I basically yeah. use this for travel and people and yeah. stuff like that. So I've got to, like, I think you'll find, you'll find that you will have your big camera and you'll have this, like, I know some top, top motorsport photographers that will, this is what they have on their shoulder. You know, they're right mm. there for the close-up. It's like having a knife. You can't, it's like having a pistol as opposed to an AK-4, you know, yeah. an, you know, AR, right? You, you need a, um, I don't know much about shooting, but I imagine that you use a pistol up close rather than a bloody big machine gun, yeah. right? So that's what it is. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I've, I've found that straight away. Like I can use that camera alongside a bigger one for work, for whatever. And previously I had a, a Fuji X100V that's over there. Um, and that just, it was like great. It's actually better autofocus and stuff like that. But the final image quality, just sharpness, resolution, the stuff, totally. it's just not the same. And as soon as I started shooting with the Q2, I was like, oh, okay, I can use this. It. And I now, I now will just get in the car or walk around with that. And I, and yeah. I don't, I don't worry about having another camera with me or whatever. No, just perfect. Deal with it. I mean, I'm, I'm, that's, that's kind of, you know, a bit of a shameless plug, you know, but I'm, I launched this Life with Legends podcast and mm. uh, I put it on Patreon and then I took it off because I realized that to do the Patreon route's tough going. I mean, yeah. you know, another subscription, you know, for people like you and I, we, I, I thought it would make sense. Imagine you had a thousand people spending $4 a month. That's, that's going to be four grand. Well, it was easy math, right? How can I not get a thousand people, you know? Yeah. And then you realize like Matt Farrow, smoking tire, amazing journalist, media yeah. guy over here. Matt has a million people on his YouTube channel yeah. and he has 680 people on Patreon. Yeah. So okay. ratio wise, it proves to me that it's a, you're pushing a square brick up a, you know, a hill. So I, I took it down and I'm actually just relaunching it all now across all podcasts, but I couple it with my portrait photography. So I, you know, like I'm oh, flying, nice. I'm seeing Mario Andretti on Wednesday. I'm getting all the old guys and I, I do a sit down and take their portrait as well. And I use the SL2 and I use, yeah. I'm going to use this just because I, I think I can get two different types of sh- yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, shots out of it. That's yeah. a really cool way of doing it. Like, for having some kind of visuals alongside an audio podcast is yeah. everyone wants video now and it like blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. But like if you can shoot some photos at the same time. And I love it. And actually the they people. kind of respond. And then I do these beautiful prints because actually you can't see it. Stephanie Hansen over there. Um, there he is. Uh, you can't see it. There he is. It's yeah. Stephanie down the bottom. See? Um, and yeah, uh, yeah. so I get them signed. I only do 24 prints of each signed where I can. It makes it a much more expensive and time laborious process, but you know, I'm very proud of it. And, uh, so that's life with legends.com. Yeah. Go check it out. What's your favorite platform in terms of creating and putting out media 
not from like any ease of use, but it's in like that you actually genuinely, what's the one that you resonates with you the most that you like doing the most? I really enjoy Instagram and I wish I had more success on Instagram because I would commit to it more. And I like doing small video. I, I, if you look at Justin Bell TV, like all my posts are actual videos and Mm. I still go through that sort of depression that you get like, what, what do you call it? Not depression. It's a, it's almost like, um, uh, uh, not FOMO, but you're like inc- incredulous that what I look at other people's thing and I go, hold on a second. I'm driving Sterling yeah. Moss in a <laughs> SLR 300 Mercedes and I've got 1500 views. Meanwhile, someone else is showing, you know, Shmi is exhaust. showing the trunk of a Ford Capri and gets 3 million views. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? You know, I don't get it. So, you know, I I, I wish, inst- I don't know, you've got to persevere. But, uh, I mean, I think for me, you've got to, I'm not, I'm going to be unapologetic about trying to keep a high standard of what I do. And so I'll put it to my website, which I've just launched you know, Life of Legends, and I'll sell these pictures. And if I don't, I have a lot of really nice pictures. And I've got great interviews, right? Yeah. Like, if you're really happy with the stuff you're doing, and I've, over the years, have really swayed to try and fit into what's right at the time. And I'm actually quite enjoying making some little videos at the moment. But from a photography point of view and stuff, and I kind of just got to a point now where I'm like, I'm going to post the stuff that I want to post. And as much as I can... And if I start deviating from that, if I look at my the things I've done and I'm not happy with it, like what are you doing? Yeah. It might well, only there's only Blondie. There's only Shmi, there's only JWW and and you know, at some point authenticity I'm not saying they're not authentic, of course they are. But I mean people like me doing what I do, yeah. Um, you know it, it pays off. I mean I, I do like to Obviously, real TV is amazing. I do like yeah. it. I'm, I'm going to be doing more back to normal real TV next year. But in the space of time that I've talked to someone about doing a real TV show and getting it made and stuff, I've done 10 episodes of something else on the online yeah. and just done it for cheap. So I, uh, I'm i always seeking the talk show. You know, we host and uh, Jason comes is a brilliant producer. And, you know, so we, we have the contract to host and produce Pebble Beach. Largest car event in the world. Nice. And it's our show. It's our chat show right there. And we're doing the same for the Chattanooga Motor Car Festival, which is coming up in two weeks, three weeks in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we love it. I really, really love it. But the goal is to get back to IMSA next year, uh, do our other events, get back to IMSA. Um, as much as anything, and I'm sure you get this, I, I want to get there for a big reason, which is the main show. It's how we get paid. And then be able to go and take pictures. I mean, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, it's going to be my Trojan horse to get into, to go and do the things that I really care about. I just, I just not, a, you know, my biggest regret. And I tell dad the whole time is why aren't I a trust fund kid? <laughs> and he just says, you're not, you know, wouldn't it be great? I just travel the world, take pictures of beautiful people. It would be great. I'm not, but you got you got to have a purpose, regardless of yeah. how much. Like yeah. you've got to have something that's driving you forwards. Yeah, yeah. And for me, it is. I have a passion for communicating the stories mm. that, that I get. 
from the people. You know, I don't, it's a, you know, you've done a great job on this. Um, but as you know, a lot of it is as good as your guest is. And I'm sure yeah. you've had guests and you go, Jesus Christ, I'm at 27 minutes here and we are just dragging this out. And then you find something that they want to talk about, right? And suddenly it's off. And they go, you go, you go, thank God. You know, I didn't realize it like historic cars so much. And it becomes an easy conversation. But, you know, what I do with Life with Legends is I'm sitting down with these guys. I mean, I was with Jackie Stewart in the summer and, you know, I'm getting a lot of the older guys obviously first. But it's just a conversation. And because I'm one of them, not on the same level, but because I've walked that same way, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel I have the ability to ask things that maybe other people don't and discuss things. And uh, so, I, you know, I hope people like it. And if they don't, yeah. I've got a really good conversation, collection of a <laughs> library of amazing conversations with in- extraordinary people. Yeah, and you must have been like, do you find, because I found through, I don't know what number this will be, this is like 150 three or something of these sort of interviews I've done. And um, I've learned so much about myself and interviewing, but I can, I can only imagine like you've done this for so long and picked up so much. Are you still like your brain? I presume my brain is always in the background, like working, trying to sort of see how we might go. But then also at the same time, you've got to listen. That's, that's something. That's I'm all, that's the only thing. What have you picked that's- up for sort of on the way? Well, Chris Economaki. Do you know who Chris Economaki was? Chris Economaki no. was, if you, if you Googled him, you'd, you'd be pretty impressed. He was the original American motorsport commentator. He mm. was the voice of the first Indy 500 on TV. He was, he was, you know, he started off doing the Daytona Beach road races back in when they were on the sand. Yeah. And he developed his skills as a radio announcer. I mean, one of my favorite stories of Chris, he said, I was down at, let's just say, the south turn of the track. People all in the grandstands. Everyone's getting bored because it's the same three cars at the front in the sand and the dirt flying everywhere. So he thought, I know, I'm going to like They started to get up out of their seats. So he started going, I just got word that up in turn one, there's been an amazing pass for the lead. Now we have, you know, Dan Gajani, you know, make his say, uh, you know, has just taken the lead. Oh, my God, they're heading back towards us now. Everyone sits down, you know, like this. Next thing is they come. There's obviously been a retake for the lead. They're back in their original position. He did this lap after lap. He realized that it's just entertainment. Feed them, yeah. feed them. And then he said, so I love that story. So then I said to him, Chris, when I started doing TV, how do I, how can I be better at this? What, what can I do? And he said, just goddamn listen. Have, know where you want to get in and where you want to get out. And in between, just listen. And that's what I do. And I think I do it on live TV. I, I will go into, you know, I open the beginning of the Le Mans 24 hour going out globally for Fox Sports at the time or Speed Channel. And I'm the first person they see and I know how I'm starting and I know how I'm ending. And in between, I'm going to see where it takes me. And I love the thrill of that. Um, yeah. But you do learn a lot about yourself when you watch other people. Like, I remember watching Jeremy Clarkson. I'm like, hmm, okay. So I did a show and I was like, this car gives me these feelings that only like a wild horse riding naked, <laughs> you know, in a leather cob piece could do for me. I'm totally making this up. But, and 
I watched myself back and all it was was like, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's just not me. I'm the guy yeah, that yeah, delivers yeah. things faster and I'm, I'm energetic and I'm funny and I really engage the camera as opposed to, and I realized he does it his way. I do it my way. I can't be him. He can't be me. And uh, so yeah. you try and emulate people, right? You, you look and you go, oh, I, I, I need to do it better. But it doesn't. you just got to stick to your own way of doing it, to be honest. And try a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Oh, Give yeah, it a go. definitely try. Definitely try. But it's funny. You, you look back and you go, I'm really not that guy. Um, but it's, it's, uh, it's a bit like me when I, I never had a golf lesson. But, you know, when I used to try and play golf, I'd be on the range and I'd look and that guy holds his grip like that. That guy has his ass stuck like that. The guy has his, I'd mix everything. I'd look around yeah. until I came up with my own version of it. People, I think, you know, lockdown was good for all of us who do podcasts, obviously, and who communicate because you were able to talk to people through this at home with no masks. And I think it opened up a lot of opportunity. And I think there's room for everybody. I'm sure you've had it said, oh, Sam, you why are you bothering? There's, you know, too many others chat podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's like saying you're never going to have a conversation other than with your best mate, you know, yeah. because because there's a different take on it. You're always going to have a different thought to someone else. Um, and that's why I love them. I, I think it's more the merrier. And there's no threat to to each other, you know, by supporting yeah. each other's podcasts and promoting them because – it's just a different voice. Yeah, absolutely. And it's all of the, the lockdown and all that. Like uh, I, st- I started this podcast and then a ton of my guests started podcasts. Like a lot yeah. of my guests have started podcasts yeah. since. And I got a bit like, oh, that's annoying. Yeah. It's like, no, it's not annoying. They're different, no. different people doing different it's stuff. Totally like, different. I mean, whatever. Just look at late night TV. You have more than one choice of late night TV on, yeah. you know, would you really think there's a room for another late night TV and chat show? And of course there was this. So no, but this has been a pleasure, mate. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. It's been great. Yeah, no, really, really good. Yeah, good luck with it. everything. And uh, let me know where I can promote it and I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. Have you got any social media handles or whatever you want to chat? Uh, yeah. We, at, at Justin Bell TV is across everything and yeah. check out like a racer. If you like photography at like a, like a racer on Instagram or, or life with legends podcast. I've only got four up right now, but I haven't really promoted it. So, uh, right after I get off this, you've motivated me. I've got to, I've got to start pushing it. Yeah. Well, people go have a listen and, uh, thanks very much. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365 day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.